Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm on today with Lai Day, um, who is a very special marketer. We met on LinkedIn, and I'd love to introduce you to her. Lai Day, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm looking forward to it. My name is Lyde Ayodeji. I've been working in marketing, analytics, and branding for about eight years now. And so I have a background ranging from working in influencer marketing to working in more of the pro- programmatic advertising. And now I'm currently an account strategist at Google, sort of serving as a consultant for different brands within the CPG and e-commerce space looking to really maximize their advertising on the internet. That is so interesting. So you've you've had your sort of perspective of various areas in the marketing world. What would you say is your favorite? I would definitely say my favorite is I love working in influencer marketing, especially how it's so new and upcoming. We're definitely going to be seeing a lot of changes in the upcoming years in terms of measuring analytics and really just being able to have influencers really be able to shape their voice and really change the direction that brands are going in. Is is influencer marketing something that can extend to B2B brands or is it mainly a B2C sort of tactic? Well, it's known as B2C. We're definitely seeing how brands are sort of acting as influencers these days and really sort of leveraging their social media as well as kind of utilizing even their website, blog, to really get out there and serve as somewhat as influencers and really being able to shape people's perceptions. That's a really good point. I I think the last time we talked, um, you mentioned a good point, which is that, you know, any good marketing team, the goal isn't to necessarily go viral every post, but if you are posting and if you are true to your brand, then once in a while you probably will go viral. Is that true? Exactly. Yes. I've definitely seen different brands. They know exactly what their marketing is. Take Fenty Beauty, for example, or even Fenty with their lingerie line. They're always going viral. People are even influencers are talking about the different clothing and it's not even sponsored posts. It's just on their own through their own sort of well-being. And that's how well-known Fenty has become. And it's really become a massive empire. That's really interesting. It's an organic, it's it's a wonderful organic strategy. Exactly. Because at that point, people are very familiar with the influencers. For example, like Patricia Bright, she's done a lot of collaborations with makeup brands and things like that. Patricia Wright is probably one of my favorite influencers personally. And sort of being able to like see from her because she gives like the honest truth. And so having her speak about a certain brand and then hearing it from her, I'm like, okay, I'm definitely a lot more inclined to purchase from this brand being that's from an influencer that I trust and I'm a fan of. Yeah, that's, it's really shaping marketing in the you know, 2020s. What else would you say is changing in the marketing landscape? So we're seeing a, sh- a, a move towards influencer marketing. What are we shifting away from? I think we're definitely starting to shift away from one size fits all strategy, because that's definitely not the case. 
we're starting to see more realism and sort of like a personal marketing approach. I think COVID definitely shaped a lot of that from luxury brands being like, oh, look, here is, you know, a $5,000 bag. Everyone go out and buy it. Whereas a lot of people are losing their jobs. You have to be very sensitive to that. That kind of marketing strategy is not going to work. People want to know more so like, how are you really helping frontline workers? What are you doing to make sure that the pandemic is, you know, easier? Like what is something that you can do to kind of take our mind off of it and show us that you're actually caring about what's going on instead of pretending like, okay, we're not in a pandemic. None of this is happening. You really have to be able to stay true to your audience and actually hear what they're saying and shape your marketing from that. Yeah. The marketing has become a two-way street, in other words. Like, instead of the one-way, one like, take 10% off, like, you know, just blasting people with offers and ads, it's more about listening and reflecting what your audience is thinking and feeling. And that's the way to connect with them. Yes, definitely showing that empathetic touch. I think that's so important, especially moving forward as, you know, the case numbers are starting to go back up again. I think we're going to start seeing some more of that empathy moving forward. We're going to see even through influencer collaborations, brands are going to be a lot more careful of the different influencers that they're choosing to speak about their brands. As we know that sort of the luxury marketing sector is really going to have to sort of shape their approach and show that they're going to be more inclusive, but also do so in a way that doesn't feel like it's completely unobtainable at this moment. They're going to have to expand out whether or not that's through having a makeup line that's more with products that are more affordable, or it's going to be just being able to sort of take a step back and kind of reach out through a brand awareness front and not so much driving in action to get sales. Yeah, I think the luxury and premium businesses, it's the advertising could easily seem out of touch, I think, this especially this year. Yes, that's definitely true. And so I think one thing that we're seeing kind of on that front is a lot of the luxury advertisers are using a lot more inclusive front, whether or not it's through, you know, having different women or men or whoever identifies as, you know, whatever gender they choose to go with. We're definitely seeing them touch on that front. So it's inclusive in terms of like gender and um, sort of that sexuality front, as well as being more inclusive in terms of like age range and skin color as well. We're seeing more of people running the gamut. And so I think that's something that's really nice because everybody wants to see themselves represented in advertising. And that's an industry that has a long way to go. Yeah, that's really nice. That's, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think advertising has been shaken up in a very good way. Um, you know, everybody had to step up their game in the last year, in other words. Yes, that's for sure. And one brand that I think has been doing really well, I think they're even ahead of the game, is Target. I've definitely seen a lot of changes in their advertising, even with their kids' wear line, um, even advertising through kids. You see kids 
with, you know, who are differently abled in their advertisements. That, I think, is still something that's so rare. You don't see a lot of that with other brands. So to see Target kind of stepping ahead of that, you also can see body inclusivity as well, where they don't touch up the models. And I love that when I go to Target, I'm like, okay, I can see this girl. Like, she has cellulite, she has stretch marks, it hasn't been photoshopped and airbrushed over. This is a brand that I would like to buy from. This is a company that I think supports my own values. Like, it's nice to see that it's accurate representation of the human body and sort of embracing who we all are. We all have our own differences, and it's so nice to see that being reflected back. Yeah, that's really nice. I love that. I love that you brought it to to the word values because that's that's what it really is. It's it's you're showing people what you what you stand for. Um, recently, I got a credit card in the mail um, from this cryptocurrency company, and when I opened it, it opened in, in sort of an origami fashion. So like you would pull one tab and another tab would fly out, and it was so delightful. I'd never seen it before, and I I stopped and I was like this is good marketing. This is weaving innovation, which is a core value of theirs, into every fiber of what that business produces. And that's what really good marketing is. And so whether it's in the advertisements showing the different people that you want to recognize, or it's weaving innovation into even the packaging of the product, it's all about making what you do kind of speak for itself rather than adding and paying for additional messaging. So interesting. Yes, that's so true. And I think that's really interesting that, you know, that's definitely something that you're going to remember because it's something that you haven't seen before. Having that sort of origami touch and people kind of reaching out into that, you know, fourth dimension of physical touch. I think that's something that is sort of been left out. I understand definitely COVID and the pandemic has shaped that. But then when you can get something that's individually packaged to you and, you know, you're not out in public and you know, oh, this is a personal touch that they're taking. They're going one step and above to show that I'm a valued client of theirs. I think that makes all the difference. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Well, let's let's switch gears a little bit. What is at the forefront of you know, segmentation in 2021? I think segmentation is really being able to sort of go after not only who your core audience is, but who are also those that you aspire to reach to and knowing exactly what channels you're going to be using to get there. For example, if you are looking to reach out Gen Zs, are you really going to be using Facebook to reach them? You need to be really looking at the, those channel numbers. Gen Z has really moved more towards TikTok. So it's like that's what you should be going after. And really being able to understand it so it's not like, okay, well, they're on TikTok. Let's start, you know, a new dance trend to go after them. No, it has to feel organic in a way that people can directly relate to and that they want to engage with. Yeah, you're right. It's... um. And, and it's one of those things that could backfire if you uh, come off looking like you're trying to appeal to a certain demographic, but then you do it in an inorganic fashion. I think it ends up looking worse than if you just didn't do anything. 
Yes, I think it definitely shows. And I think that's why it's really important when you are coming up with these marketing ideas that you're having a full range of different people in the room. So it's not, for example, all one demographic, because if you have a bunch of, you know, 35, 40 year old marketing executives in a room making decisions on TikTok, well, where's the Gen Z voices being represented here? you're probably going to be way off the mark when you do try to create a video. Um, you also want people that are using these platforms daily and weekly and actually know how it works and how it's going to be used. I think that's a really important part of segmentation is really like you need to be walking in the shoes of the consumer. That's a really powerful thing to say, walking into the shoes of the consumer. I mean, I'm in a B2B company. So I will, you know, it's really difficult for me to feel what it's like to be, for instance, like an executive at a large company who wants to invest, you know, a billion dollars into cloud infrastructure. How do you imagine that frame of mind? I think you need to take a step back and are you using the program or the software as if you were them? Are you able to use the new features that are being rolled out? That's something that I like to work as well. Being that I do work with a lot of B2B clients, I like to take a step back and take a holistic approach to like, okay, what are they doing on their other marketing channels? Because I'm looking to sort of discover who they are as well. And then in this lens, I become more of a consumer. So I'm like, okay, they're doing this on social this is what their website looks like. Let me, you know, Google them. Are they coming up on any other sort of other channels? Have they been in the news? Like what's going on with them? Are they on any like PR list? Yeah, it requires a deep understanding of what you're offering and the value that it provides to people. I think that's something that marketers need to get better at in general. I agree. I agree. I think sometimes... It's too much of a, okay, here, let's sell to you. But it's like, at the end of the day, what is the value that you're bringing to me? Like, I want to know exactly what it is. What are the values that you stand for? And also, how is this product or this service going to improve my life? And how is this different than anything else that's already on the market? So I think one interesting thing that I'm starting to see, especially as the furniture space continues to sort of heat up in a way is that a lot of these brands, like I'm, I went furniture shopping for the first time a few months ago for my new apartment. And so I went into a lot of the major furniture stores. You know, I went to Ikea, I went to um, Crate & Barrel, I went into Raymar Flanagan. And so the experience that I had at each store was completely different. And the one that was like more most personalized to me was the one that I was probably going to go for because I'm a first time shopper. I don't have a lot of experience with this. Yes, I watch a lot of HGTV, but it's completely different when you're actually on the front. And so Raymore and Flanagan was actually the brand that got me to purchase the most because it was the most personalized sort of service towards what I was looking for. And how was it different from the rest, like Crate and Barrel, for example? They all had the same sort of approach. You walk in, you can see, you know, all the products that they have, different store layouts. 
They have sales associates that can come up to you. However, it was like I was walking in some of the stores and no one greeted me when I first walked in. However, when I went into Raymore Flanagan, I was greeted right away. They asked me, what are you looking for? Oh, it was like, how's your day going? So I really felt like they actually cared about me. And so it was that relationship aspect that is what took me to the final sale. And I think that's what a lot of other brands need to be doing as well. How are you showing that you care about that customer? And how are you showing that you value their business and you value them as a person? It almost feels superficial when you think about the difference that a greeter or a good relationship may have. But in reality, it's all, it makes all the difference. On the back end, people might be talking about, you know, we're going to undercut their cost, your, their prices by 5%. People are going to go with our brand because it makes more sense financially. But for the consumer, that's they don't really notice that nearly as much as the relationship and interaction with actual people. And that, as, as unfortunate as it sounds, could make a much bigger difference than anything related to product or price. Exactly. And I think what it is is, like, you need to understand your consumer. And, of course, we know, like, JCPenney, they had their infamous scaff a few years ago when they decided to get rid of all of their coupons. However, you have to think about like who their demographic was and like their segment that they were trying to reach out to. They're reaching out to a lot, which happened to be, you know, women 40 plus who have got been going to JCPenney for years and years. And one thing that they maybe did with their mothers as well was spend the weekends couponing whether or not it was through the catalog, literally cutting out the coupons. So it kind of became like a generational sort of standpoint. And then when JCPenney got rid of that, it's like, oh, well, you're literally losing that touch, that all those memories that people were having being created with their families, that all of a sudden was gone. It's like, would I really want to keep going into your store when the one thing that was really driving me in was having that coupon, whether or not it was already being reflected in the prices or not, but it was like the act of actually pretending to do it and having that personalization of getting, you know, the catalog once a month and having coupons in it. It just felt like it was just for me so that I can go to the store and shop. That's so nice. Yeah. Nostalgia is so powerful. Such an amazing element to, to weave into like the value that a brand can provide. It is. And now I think it's really interesting how definitely in terms of like fashion, the 90s are certainly back and Gen Z is definitely very heavy and picking up on this trend. And so we're kind of seeing how brands who have been around since before the 90s are kind of responding to that, but making it more authentic. So it appeals to this new digital age where Gen Z can pick up on it as well. And so it's like so interesting to see, you know, like some of the teenage girls walk around with like crop tops and then you see baby fat come back and you see all these like shoe trends. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had these when I was living up growing up in the 90s. So it's really interesting to see how brands are sort of responding to that, but making it so that it's a genuine approach. Brands are almost like 
you know, they are their own entities, and like its own entity, it has its own social, it jokes around, it, you know, is relatable, it says things that are on our minds, and, and we like and share that, that sort of content. So the job of an the job of a company is really to interact with the target audience like one of the target audience and to be super relatable, like part, part of the discussion almost like to, to, to the degree that they can, of course, it's, you know, it is a company at the end of the day. How do you react to that? Yeah, I definitely think that that's super important. Also engaging with your different consumers on these platforms as well, having a little bit of fun with it. Like I know recently, like Giannis, the basketball player, he has become super famous being that, you know, they just won the NBA championship. And so I know that he was a big fan of Chick-fil-A. And so now we're seeing, and something that he would order from Chick-fil-A, I think it was, what, like half lemonade and half Sprite or some kind of drink mix. And now certain Chick-fil-A's are offering that drink mix. So it's really knowing, okay, NBA fans, they're a huge fan of Giannis. Like he's doing super well at the moment. Okay, let's kind of capture in on that demand, but let's have fun with it as well. And I think that was a really good move on their part to sort of like reach out to Chick-fil-A for this new huge audience that they're going to be getting, but also have fun with it because it's an unusual drink combination, but to sort of be able to capitalize on it and as well as sort of get into the, like what his fans are talking about for his own love of Chick-fil-A. I think that's a really great move. Oh yeah. I mean, and that is a delicious sounding combination. So I see why they did it. Somebody was probably like, Make it happen. It's, it can't, we can't go wrong. <laughs> exactly. And the fact that they were able to roll it out so quickly, I think that was also very important. They didn't wait until, you know, August to roll it out when, you know, people aren't really talking about the NBA finals anymore and the fact that the Bucks won. It's a little too late for that. They definitely hopped on it within the week. And I think it's really important to sort of been, be able to figure out these sort of tentpole moments that you want to go after and make sure that you're doing it in real time and not just, you know, kind of scrapping a few things together and then launching. But like the fact that they thought it out, it was something easy to sort of put together and then launch it that way. I think that makes all the difference. Yeah. Can you talk more about timing? Like what's an example of a brand that missed the, missed the mark in terms of timing and just didn't relate or what's a brand conversely that um i guess like like the example you just gave that that hit it right on the head and was able to capture that energy that was sort of in the zeitgeist yes i definitely think victoria's secret um i think it's they're putting themselves in a a very i think personally and sort of a negative position by trying to now kind of hone in on this body positive movement. Um, They're definitely years much later, like consumers were literally going on Twitter, going on Instagram, telling them exactly what they wanted to see. We can see other brands like Fenty and Aerie and even some of the smaller, you know, sort of 
lingerie brands as well, showing that, okay, now consumers, they really want to see their body represented in their advertisements. And then now that Victoria's Secret is kind of trying to get in on this in 2021, but then they're still using celebrity spokespeople as their forefront, they're years too late. We want to see everyday people in their advertisements. Um, I know Victoria's Secret is really, you know, struggling with sales, partially because of this. And I think that even though they made the change now, they're not going to see a huge change that they need to see because they're simply just behind the curve. Yeah, so here's my question, though. If a brand only listened to consumers, could the consumers drive it in a short-sighted direction? For instance, let's say consumers are demanding a certain kind of product or a certain kind of direction, but then that either would not be profitable or good for the long-term development of the company. Like, for example, um, for Apple, the number one thing that people demand is a bigger battery every year. Like the number one feature everybody always wants is a bigger battery and they almost never deliver it. Like the, literally, it's almost always like a bigger screen size, faster processor, things people actually don't care about that much. Um, they really just want their phone to, to last the whole day. Um, so Apple is choosing, you know, to make much more beautiful devices rather than like thicker, more, I would say, practical devices that, that last a long time. So they're choosing not to listen to the consumers. Is there a value there? Or do you think they should always focus on what the consumers want? I think it goes hand in hand with both. Because it's like, at the same time, you need to listen to your consumers. But at the same time, like, if you know that something that people are demanding is just not feasible, and it's not going to help you in the long run, for example like having a bigger battery. It's going to make the phone probably bulkier. It's not going to look, have that slim and sleek design that Apple is known for, right? So it's like they need to figure out a way on their own end because Android batteries last a long time. But however, th their phones are not necessarily known for the design necessarily, but they're known for the capabilities and processes that they have. I think Apple needs to be able to sort of weave that in and kind of figure out, okay, well, people are really demanding longer battery life, but we can't lose that simple and sleek design. What's an alternative approach that we can have? And so whether or not it's having... Um, I'm not definitely, I'm definitely not within that engineering space, but if it's like, okay, well, when anytime someone buys a phone, they also get a free portable charger to carry with them or something like that. They need to have that additional value proposition because I think that's definitely a large issue that Apple has been sort of ignoring for quite a long time. And it's like consumers are getting... You know, they're going to reach a point where it's like, okay, Apple is no longer going to be my top choice of phone. I'm going to go with another phone that has better battery life that also has some of the same qualities with the sleek, nice design, such as like OnePlus. They're going to eventually go with other brands if Apple is not going to be able to evolve in the way that consumers need them to. Really good point. So basically, you don't have to 
uh, change your core value proposition, but you should be considering and offering solutions to your what your customers are asking for. So if they want a bigger battery, um, like you said, maybe that doesn't mean that you change the design of the phone. Maybe it means you give them something in addition to the phone that can that can help with alleviate that issue. And so, um, yeah, that that really like circles back um, to: Are you listening to your customers? Are you you know, are you responding and reflecting back to them what what they're thinking and feeling? Exactly, because I feel like when consumers are being very vocal about an issue, and then you're kind of seeing it resurface time and time again, and then you're kind of just sort of ignoring it and not addressing it. I think in the long run this can potentially do more damage than good. It's like you really need to make sure that your teams are all working together to be able to find that fine balance of, okay, this is what consumers want, but at the same time, this is what equals profitability and sales for us. What's that additional value proposition that we can be offering? I love it. Um, I, you know, that I think we're at about time, but Lyde, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat today. This has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much, Alex. This has been a lot of fun. I always love talking about marketing. Likewise. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you soon.